Good evening, Mr. Brandon. Hi, Josh. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Um, <laughs> yeah, how are you doing? It's been a while since it's just been both of us talking. You know, I'm I'm all things considered, I'm doing okay. Tired, but okay. How are yeah, you doing? That's fair. I'm fine. I'm also tired. I've had a lot going on at work, so I've been busy with that. Um, got out of town for a little bit last weekend. That was nice. Got to relax. And you? Honestly, it's mostly been work. Mm-hmm. I turned 32 last week. That's great. So that's cool. Enjoy that. <laughs> 32 was when things really started working out for me. And then after a few years, they started really not working out for me. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully you'll have a better experience than I did. I was going to say, hopefully I don't follow suit. Like I, I'm kind of liking where things are at right now, life mm-hmm. and work and otherwise. So I'm, you know. Oh, you know, you know something I'm excited about? What are you excited about? The core rulebook for the new 5E Power Rangers game is in and it's over at Alpha Comics and Games for me. I'm sorry, the what? It. We talked about this, I thought, maybe not on the podcast, but just in general life and friendship. I think we talked about this. There's a um, a Power Rangers TTRPG that is built on the 5E rules. It was like a Hasbro licensing deal. Oh, you know what? Now that you now that you were talking about it a little bit more, like, I think you're absolutely right. We did talk about this kind of briefly, but we did at least talk about it. Yeah, so it's it's like a thing and the book is out now and uh, the proprietor of Alpha Comics and Games, conveniently located in Richmond's Willow Lawn, texted me the other day to let me know that it was in. But there's an irregularity on the cover. So we're trying to decide if I am to be ordered a new one or I just pay for that one. But I'm looking forward to it because one, I'm a huge Power Rangers Super Sentai fan. But two, I'm really jonesing to be irritated at it because I really don't like systems that are like, well, here's this thing that was built for this, but we're going to try and use it with this. I actually saw, I know we we haven't talked Twitter shenanigans in a while. Mm-hmm. I saw someone getting salty recently that a, a thread had popped up where this person was like, well, you know, like 5e is not great, but like you can tweak it to be better but you don't seem satisfied with even if you tweak it, it's better because like, well, now it's not really 5e. And so like, what's your pro? Like, can't you be happy? And I'm like, (laughs) I'm over here. Like, look, man, like at the point where you have to break a system to fix a system, it's not really that system anymore. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you should have almost just started at ground zero with something else. And you know, I'll say something else about the, the, this kind of game, you know, with like a Power Rangers game, you have to have transformation mechanics. I guess you could probably just flavor that, but you need to scale the battles between like actual on the ground battles and then mecha battles. And you have to figure out like some sort of cooperative mechanic for everybody to be operating the mecha and things. Um, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but I'm going to phrase it in a weird way because I'm trying to give exposition to the listener. But, you know, we were at MAGFest um, a couple months ago and we were in the tabletop room and a lot of the indie designers were there and they had their tables set up for pitches and everything. You texted me one day. You're like, you have to get over here. Some guy is <laughs> demoing a Power Rangers game. And I was like, what? And then I went across the hotel and went out there in the freezing cold over to the tabletop room, which was in a different building to check it out is this game called it's called altar arms and it's you know power rangers related etc 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 like metal heroes common rider things like that and my very first question for the guy was how does it scale and he started talking about how he's got like a system of tiers and everything for the battles and he was a really nice guy and i I got the uh, srd for it that he put out the system uh, reference document and I've sort of read through it a little off and on. I I think it's one of those things that I'm not really going to get a feel for until I actually play it. But, you know, I feel like there's sort of a rock and a hard place here because I feel like his system is probably going to be a bit too grindy and complex. But then you're going to have this 5e system that's easy, but maybe doesn't fit right. 
you know, there's, there's a happy medium somewhere in there. And I'll be interested to see if anybody finds it. If you're listening to this and you know of a very, very effective uh, Power Rangers, Metal Hero, Kamen Rider, Super Sentai type role-playing game, please let me know. Uh, tweet me at Way of Brandalore on Twitter and let me know about that. Uh, real quick, I am going to say, if you are curious about this uh, kind of Super Sentai-ish game that Brandon and I were looking at at MAGFest. The author's name is Duffy Austin, and the mm. website is alterarms.com. That's A L T E R arms.com. Yeah, and, and the, tw- the Twitter is at alt- Alter Arms. Yeah, so feel free to check that out and form your own opinions because we're just a couple of dudes who like hanging yeah. out and talking TTRPG stuff. We don't get to decide what you feel about things. Let me be very clear. My uh, opinion on Alter Arms right now is relatively very uninformed. I haven't had a chance to really dig into it yet. Just this is just sort of like my bird's eye reaction to it of like, I feel like there might be some scalability issues, not because of anything that um, Duffy Austin is doing, but just because that's sort of the nature of that kind of genre. There's, there's a lot of different levels of things you have to dig into there. It is hard to hit a really nice sweet spot with a genre like that. And you are understandably concerned that this will not hit that sweet spot. Yeah, exactly. But eventually I'm going to get a couple people together and I'll play it and I'll see how it goes. Uh, But if I want Power Rangers fix, right? I I wonder too how, you know, this is a thing. Maybe we should have him on to talk about this. But, um, you know, I wonder how he felt when he found out that there was going to be a, you know, a 5e adaptation of the Power Rangers game. I there's a part of me that always wonders when stuff like this happens, whether there was some sort of like. You know, you see like a rumor mill online and you're like, oh, God, I've been I've been bouncing this idea around in my head for the last three years. Mm-hmm. I gotta put this on paper and I gotta do it now. I remember this was probably about 15 years ago. Um, I I bought something. It was RPG related. I can't remember what it was exactly, but uh, it came with a little slip of paper in it. Somebody was advertising their like space opera um, RPG that they were writing originally. Um, it wasn't 15 years ago. It was more recent than that. I can't remember exactly when. Some somebody can tell me when and how I'm wrong about what I'm about to say, but um, it was it it was very much more recently than 15 years ago. Now that I think about it, because it was right before Starfinder came out and uh, I, you know, there was all kinds of contact information on this little piece of paper. I wanted to call it a flyer, but it wasn't really a flyer. It was just a small little piece of paper that was folded up in the package that was like, hey, check out this thing I'm working on. And I found him on Reddit and a couple of other places and i saw a bunch of old posts and there was one where he you know he had talked about how oh this is coming out xyz and you know the website was dead uh, eventually and i found a reddit post where he was just like i've been working on this for years and then they come out with this it was i felt so bad for him from a distance that sucks so bad well and especially like you come up with a concept like that, and especially if you're the only person trying to bring it to life. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's heartbreaking is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But we're talking about uh, game design and SRDs and all these other things. So let's talk about another new SRD that we both really enjoy. Um, you know, last year we talked to this great guy, uh, Cesar Capacle, and he at the time was living in South America. And now he lives on the other side of the ocean. Um, but he is a game designer and after we talked to him, uh, we had a really great conversation or I did at least cause you weren't there. Um, you, you had to edit that episode. So you're, you're probably more familiar with that conversation now than I am. I was going to say, I think I got to listen to those questions and answers, uh, about five or six times per, uh-huh. <laughs> so you very much know, but, <laughs> um, but he was great. He does a lot of, uh, different kinds of rpgs like he does uh solo games 
he does games with like low stats, no stats, um, exploration games. He did that one game on Neuronaut, which is designed to be played while you sleep as a lucid dream, which is just wild. His most recent like big deal that he put out was Starlight Riders, which is a cowboy heist game where you share characters. Uh, we'll play like players can play any any of the characters at any time, pretty much. Um, but I, I follow him on Twitter. Because uh, after we talked, I realized he was putting out some really cool stuff and I wanted to keep an eye on it just because it's it's fun. And he put out this is just as a recording this just like a week or so ago that he put this out. It's called Push and it's the um, system document for this new system that uh, he's developed. And it's, you know, very narrative focused, very low on stats and everything. Um I've been look, looking at it for about a week. You really just read through it in the last half hour. Um, so what did you think? I mean, I love it just as a system and as a concept. Uh, quick, quick nod to Cesar. Uh, editing that episode was some of the least editing I've ever had to do for a Goblins and Growlers podcast episode because you and he were just like feeling the energy in the room, I guess. Like it was great. Um. But reading reading through the system, I so for those completely unfamiliar, it is a primarily one uh, d six system with the option to add a d six if you don't like your result. <laughs> and the trouble with that is that if you add the d six, you take whatever's added, and if you get seven or higher, it's a fail. Yeah. And the whole concept is just, you know, it's called push because it's pushing your luck. You know, you're like, oh, can I do it? It's like playing blackjack, basically. Hit me. Hit me. Oh, you bust. <laughs> you bust. Yeah, it's very it's very much it's blackjack with one D six is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, And the whole system is really beautiful in both its simplicity and in its trust that players will not only be capable of doing what they need to do in order to have a fun and engaging experience, but also in creators in their ability to come up with something that is a strong narrative, but that doesn't tie people to, you know, one line of thinking. Mm -hmm. And just to get this out of the way before we forget, Cesar has a store up on itch.io it's kapakle.itch.io, C-A-P-A-C-L-E dot itch.io. And it's got all his games up there, plus Push. I think right now Push is like $4.89 for uh, basically a 60-page system document. So that's like great. And then also he put up for another $4.89 because it's on sale right now, Relics of Denoria, which is a game he created in the Push system to demonstrate how the push system works. Which honestly, even if you considered those two things a bundle, getting them for under $10 is a steal because Mm -hmm. this is, I just reading the rule document, I was like, ah, do we, do we have time? Could we play this like tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm, I'm so excited by the concept and how it's written and how everything is built and it's just like it's so simple i mean we we basically described the core rules of yeah. the system just then i mean i i'll do it right now because at the beginning of the book he has a page where he's like i know you probably you might not want to read this whole book so here's just one page on what you have to do step 1 create your pitch a short paragraph talking about the world its conflicts and protagonists basically you're just doing a few sentences of world building to sort of set the stage for everything. It doesn't have to be super immersive uh, and detailed Two, list the themes of your game. Like, you know, is it going to deal with uh, family relations? Is it going to deal with loneliness? Is it going to focus on treasure hunting? You know, whatever the theme of the game are. And then he says, and be sure to add a safety tool, which is just good advice. Um, step three, you create a list of traits that players will either roll, roll on a table or pick from to create their characters. Cause it's completely statless. You don't have to worry about rolling for strength or HP or anything like that. And then the game's quest driven. So you have to come up with a quest that includes a mission, which is the inciting incident that requires immediate action, uh, a matrix, which is a table of 36 prompts with moments that could come up during an adventure, 
Uh, and then an agenda, which is a list of six goals that express behaviors you want to reward the players for. And that's pretty much it. You know, he he recommends you fit it all on two pages, but I can very easily see how you could get a little bit more detailed with this and fill out like a, a booklet, which is what he did for Denoria. Right. Like the beautiful thing that he has established here is that you can sit down and play this game with as little as 1D6. Mm-hmm. 1D6, maybe a little paper for tracking things like what you're what your quest and your traits and et cetera are. And like, you just, you just roll through. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I love it so much conceptually. I think probably my favorite part of the whole system is the Oracle, which mm-hmm. makes it so that you don't need to have a game master. If you don't want to, yeah. you can still have a game master. Who's a little bit more of a guide, but all of your, like if, if players can't come to an agreement about what the narrative looks like or how things work, then you have a dice generated answering system, basically. Yeah. And that that's, goes... that's the interesting thing, because with so with solo games or GM list games, you have to have some sort of randomization mechanic that takes the place of the of like a clockwork DM, essentially. A lot of times that is created by working on a table or a matrix or something and deciding how you roll on it. The Oracle is kind of interesting because you basically just ask it yes or no questions and it and it tells you, you know, like, let's say you your characters get to a forest and, oh, you know, well, like, let's decide if there's a path here. And if you can't decide, then you ask the Oracle and just sort of an odds evens kind of thing, I guess the Oracle is like yes or no. And then the players can take that and they can improv off of it and develop the world. I mean, it goes a little beyond that because you've got the, you can do it as a yes or no Oracle, but you can also do it as that same push mechanic, Mm -hmm. except now it's likely unlikely or instead of fail, it's misfortune. Yeah. Yeah. The, the path, there is a path in the forest, but it's actually a mimic. Right. Like the whole the whole way it's all built is just like I can see a game very quickly being like, okay, you know, and like we're doing this and then we're doing this and then we're doing this and then we're doing this. Are we doing that? Well, what are the like, what's the other thing you think we should be doing? I think it should be this instead. And then the group's like, I don't know, that's kind of unlikely. And it's like, well, let's consult the Oracle. Mm -hmm. Is it the likelier thing or the unlikelier thing? And then you just roll for it and you continue with whatever the result is. Like it's so, ah, it's so clean and also so functional. As I was reading this, cause I, um, I printed it out so I could take it with me when I was out of town last weekend and I just read through it. And as I was reading it, I kept thinking of the parallels to, uh, the quiet year, uh, the storytelling game. And this is, you know, it feels like it's that, but it's pushed just a little bit further into an RPG zone. No pun intended, because I can I've, see because I can see uh, you on camera getting ready to make a noise. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, Cesar actually mentioned when he and I were talking that Quiet Year was one of those games that inspired him for like GMless stuff. You know, don't at me if I'm wrong about that, but I seem to remember that. I think you're completely correct. And given that I listened to both of you talking like six times through. uh, Yeah, I think I think not only is that accurate, I think he mentioned that he was working. I don't think he specifically called it push at the time because I don't think it had a name yet. But -hmm. I think he mentioned that he was working on something a little more system like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to hit a couple more bullet points from the stuff here. Um, he's got a page for core premises. Again, go buy this. It's less than $5. Um, yeah. If you're not, if you're not supporting Cesar, uh, if you're instead like, I'm going to, I'm going to piece together the idea from this podcast episode. First of all, don't do that. Pay people for their cool stuff. But second of all, like this is genius. Don't you want to give him money? So he creates more genius stuff. Yeah. He does this full time. Uh, But like the core premises that he's listing are cooperative gameplay because there's no game master, which I love. I'm not as experienced with no game master games, 
but I love games where there's more of a cooperative aspect where the players help build the world. It's stat free, nothing, nothing to worry about. Monsters don't have stats. You don't have stats. Weapons don't have stats. Um, we're talking about luck and risk taking and that's it. It's got an emergent narrative. You basically just point in a direction and see where that story takes you as you sort of improv it. It's all imagination. Nothing's really proscriptive or anything like that. Come up with, you know, as creative a use for something as you can. Lean on the dice to create drama. They're an option, but they're never an obligation. So whenever you need to inject drama into a situation, lean on the dice. And your protagonists are competent. So if they're going to fail, at least make them try to fail forward or do something unique because nobody enjoys failure. You know, as we're talking about things being really clean and kind of simplistic and very elegant, I am reminded of Lasers and Feelings, which was, I think, the last thing in this vein that we talked about on the podcast, Um, you know, written by John Harper. It's a 2D6 system that is basically... Uh, a Star Trek system where you're either Spock or you're Kirk and you're rolling to be good at the things that Spock and Kirk do. Mm -hmm. And Lasers and Feelings is great, but it just never scratched the itch necessarily that I was looking for. The itch.io? Yeah, exactly. With a simplistic (laughs) system like that. I I felt like... I was left wanting a little bit with it. And maybe I was just trying to do a little too much with it. No, I think I I get where you're coming from because I think lasers and feelings is how to describe it. It's like a jetty. Like you can launch something really beautiful from lasers and feelings, but it itself will not launch anything for you. Mm -hmm. You need to come in with some groundwork done so that you've got something really fun to engage with. I think push does a much better job of building something out that's a little more complex because, you know, he's got the SRD is, what did he say? 54 pages? Yeah, something like that. And yeah, I've got it in front of me. Let me look. Yeah, it's like 50 pages. Yeah. And it's with with that, you're getting a lot more details because Cesar has intentionally written this to be set in such a way that you, even if you know nothing, absolutely nothing about running a game, designing a game, creating an adventure, you can come out of reading this SRD feeling, I would imagine, pretty confident about creating on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mentioned this to you before we started recording, but for the last few months, I've been just sort of banging my head against a wall on a game that I'm trying to design. And I keep just getting hung up on mechanics. And then I got this last week and I started reading through it. I was like, well, this basically solves all my problems. Um, This accomplishes the stuff I wanted to accomplish. It eliminates some of the unnecessary stuff that I was trying to jam in there because I really liked it, but it's not necessary, at least not in a first iteration for something. I have heard that referred to in game design as the extra fridge yeah yeah that's exactly (laughs) what it is like i'm walking into it like i really want play i really want this system to work with dice and playing cards like six-sided dice and playing cards so anybody can play it because pretty much everybody's got six-sided dice and playing cards and now i'm like well you know the playing cards that was like a conceit that i don't need to put in there maybe i could come up with an add-on mechanic later for something like that but it's not necessary i really wanted to focus on like moral choices, storytelling, theme, you know, themes like that. And this is actually perfect because it provides a framework for that for me without me having to sit down and try and force myself to make something like similar from a like a stat game perspective, but different so that nobody's like you just stole that stat game and <laughs> put a stamp on it. Cuz like it's it's sort of like a vaguely Arthurian uh, game that deals with like faith and temptation and stuff. And I started out by like actively seeking out anti-inspiration. So I would know what I didn't want to do. And, you know, probably the best example is Pendragon, which was an Arthurian role-playing game from a while back that 
is kind of notorious for being overly complicated in its rule set. Um, if I were going to call it something, I would call it, I don't know, medieval GURPS, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> that's 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 mean. I'm not sure to whom, but it's mean. It's just there's just a lot like creating your characters is this multi chapter affair. And if I get bored or lost reading the instructions for how to play a role playing game. It could probably be written better. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what Cesar's done is sort of given me something that are the tools to realize what I was trying to do, at least from a first draft perspective. And then I can go from there because like the hardest part of creating anything is just getting out of the slump and actually putting something on paper. Cause once you do that, you can iterate and it's easier to iterate than it is to start from the beginning. So really what he's done is he's basically created gasoline that people can pour on their creative fire just to get something going. Yeah, well, and he's had a bunch of games designed with the push system already. I know he posted very recently about like, hey, check out check out some of these people who are creating things within my system. All within the last week and a half. I know. And he was excited to see like more things created. And I think uh, he even links to a lot of them. Mm hmm. He's very active on Twitter. I suggest anybody follow him. He's uh, at Kapakle. He is a fascinating follow. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's it's spelled like capable, but with a C instead of a B. Why don't you just spell it out? <laughs> that's uh, Charlie Alpha Piranha Alpha Charlie Lima Echo Kapakle. I don't think uh, Piranha is in the phonetic UN alphabet. Uh, uh, phonetic P <laughs> P for phonetic. <laughs> uh, so yeah, check 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 him out. He's on he's on Twitter. Kapakle.itch.io is his itch page. He's got so much cool stuff, y'all. Yeah, we'll put stuff we'll put stuff in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have we'll have links for everybody who wants to get on into those show notes. Mm-hmm. Actually, speaking of cool stuff that Cesar has created after the interview, because y'all talked about the short rest mug, I was mm-hmm. like, first of all, I need to see this. And then I saw it and I was like, second of all, I need to have this in my house immediately. I'm notoriously bad at taking breaks for myself. And so I have it. It's here. Why don't you describe the short rest mug for people who haven't yet listened to that interview? So the short rest mug is a weird. You all are probably familiar with a little something Goblins and Crowlers likes to refer to as the one page dungeon. Well, this is the one mug game system. (laughs) It is basically a game that is designed to encourage you to do a little bit of creative storytelling, but also to take a break and let your mind wander and refresh yourself. (laughs) The goal, the mechanical goal of the game is to take a break that is anywhere from 11 minutes to uh, you losing track of time. Everything he does is just charming. Oh, it's so good. That's that's something I was talking to you about as I was reading through the document, but I haven't mentioned on the show yet. Reading through the push system reference document, he has poured so much personality into how it's written. Everything's still very clearly stated, but I could not shake reading the entire thing in his narrative voice. Mm hmm. Because you had to listen to it five or six times. (laughs) I did get pretty familiar with how he talks. Yes. But it's there's a lot of, you know, there's moments where he's like, yeah, there's not really an HP mechanic. If you feel like your game has to have an HP mechanic, here's how you can do that. And then he gives some examples of how that could work. And then at the bottom, he's like, but I would encourage you to look at what this is doing to your game. And realize why I omitted it in the first place. And that gets us back around to what we were talking about at the beginning. Like the Power Rangers 5e system. You know, 
taking something and, you know, jamming that square peg into a round hole that doesn't necessarily belong there. He's designed a system that doesn't use stats. So, of course, somebody whose name might be Brandon Dingus, I'm not sure, <laughs> is going to come along and be like, by God, I got to have hit points in this game. Without stats, how will I know when I win or lose? Exactly. <laughs> Fun is for losers. <laughs> you what, you want to tell an imagination game story? What are we, kindergartners? <laughs> Josh, tell me about the modifiers in this game. Uh, the modifiers in this game are pretty fun, actually. There's the... Oh my gosh, I just had this page. How did I lose it so quickly? <laughs> What's I, happening? I hope you're searching for the page that says, what about modifiers? There are none. <laughs> well, there's sort of kind of... There's traits. Mm -hmm. Like, there's not there's not modifiers specifically, but let's, each character it's, has let, a trait. Let's be, let's be clear. You're talking about modifications to the way the player would role play you're not talking about numerical modifiers oh no 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 if we're talking about like uh giving somebody a plus three strength but a minus two dex we don't have that and we don't have that because first of all we don't have strength and dex and second of all uh we don't have plus ones and plus twos which cesar very kindly points out really don't make that much of a difference on the average role anyway. Yeah, I mean, he's right because he says if you if you don't believe me, just go use a dice rolling simulator. <laughs> and he's right because I remember when I was doing some probability tests on on something for like an armor class thing, I rolled a bunch of dice and then I was like, "Well, wait a minute." And then I looked at the actual probability math of it. I was like, "Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> it actually matters very little." Yeah, the the big thing with something like Dungeons and Dragons is stacking modifiers or multiplying modifiers. Mm -hmm. So when you've got something like, oh, I've got a plus four proficiency, that's cool. Like, it's cool to have a plus four to something because that's a meaningful jump. But then you get expertise in it. And now you have a plus eight in that ability that's meaningful. Those are meaningful differences in your numbers, especially when you're playing a D20 based game. Yeah, but it also creates a bit of a buffering layer between telling the story and enjoying the story sometimes. I think uh, this is something that Alan says all the time, but I'm I'm coming around to where he's coming from more and more as I play more games. The driest part of any tabletop RPG experience tends to be combat. Mm -hmm. And that's because most tabletop RPG games are like, oh, TTRPGG, regardless, most of them are going to say, okay, you're going to roll the die and then you're going to add these numbers and you might need to subtract these numbers and you might need to measure that against a different number that your opponent has and then uh, that will determine the outcome which itself is a series of numbers that's and why i had to give up on a 4e <laughs> actual play podcast that i listened to years ago for several years because it just the combat episodes just became so tedious i couldn't take it anymore i struggled to get into critical role at all because this wasn't critical role for me. I'm I'm hearing you, but yeah. their like second episode, I want to say, is four hours of straight combat. Yeah. The episode the the one I used to listen to, which I will not name, uh, the episode that um made me quit was two and a half hours of straight combat. That's too much. And it's I think part of the reason we feel that way is because we used to run three-hour games at breweries where combat was one of four things you were doing. Mm -hmm. In any given scenario, you might have a combat. Odds are good you didn't have two, because that tends to be a lot of combat. But mm -hmm. you had other stuff to do, man. We had other things to get to. Yeah. If combat was taking three hours, then we'd never get anything else done. It would yeah. just be combat. It's dragging you down. 
it's dragging you down. And that's yeah. that's one of the reasons I can really get behind minimizing the numbers that you're putting into something. Well, and Cesar specifically wants it to be a narrative focused game. Mm-hmm. So if you sitting around the table are like, okay, like I'm going to, I'm going to hit it and the hit's going to look like this and it's going to be like that. And somebody goes, yeah. And then I'm going to try to hit it and I hit him and I get this result. So that looks like, oh yeah, like we really devastate this guy. And then they turn to each other and they're like, is he dead? And then the table's like, he's dead. Like you could just celebrate him being dead right then and there and move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're really enjoying like describing your characters going after like, let's just say a huge ogre and you're like, oh, yeah, we keep hitting him and we keep hitting him and we keep hitting him. And then, you know, it's not like D&D where it's like, well, you haven't you haven't hit him enough yet. Mm-hmm. It's not you need to you need to hit him about seven more times at that level or three more times at a much higher level. Yeah, I'll be and honest. Then, pretty much then any, he'll be dead anytime lately that i ran any kind of combat the monster hp was strictly a suggestion for me um i would let things go on as long as was dramatically necessary and narratively interesting yeah you know part of the problem there is that you and i are not the target demographic of war games right because we are not number crunchy boys. Yeah. And we play without maps. <laughs> so it's it's very hard to track your movement <laughs> if there's no hex field in front of you. Yeah. And I have definitely had players sit down at tables that I was running and be like, don't worry, I will draw a map. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> How am I going to just make up random stuff that's happening around you if there's a actual physical representation of the space? I hate this. You just grab a pen and you draw it in there. <laughs> oh, my God. A giant ape has appeared and is throwing <laughs> barrels at you. What's this construction material sprouting out of the ground? Is that a woman up there with him? It's Mule King. (laughs) No, like, I think that's part of why I like push so much. I don't know how much it's going to appeal to people who are like, you know, oh, yeah, I figured out that if you multi-class barbarian and fighter then you can use the extra attack and then you can action surge to get like this added benefit. And, there's like, nothing to min max, <laughs> right? There's literally nothing here to min max unless you get some loaded dice. <laughs> <laughs> then you can min max again. I mean, this is the thing I run into, and this is something I figured out kind of early in my life. Playing games where you are the strongest and the most capable and like the best at all things, it's just not fun for me. Mm -hmm. Like you and you and I have talked about this before, but like a lot of the fun is in the challenge. And I think I think that's true of number crunchy folks as well. Like they don't want things to be easy, but they want to be the most powerful. And for me, like I want to be kind of pitiful in the average game, honestly. Everybody wants to be John Cena uh, when their when their characters are playing, because <laughs> the the joke was always "lol Cena wins" because there was that period where it didn't matter who John Cena was facing or when he came out, as soon as he was in the ring, you knew he was going to win, and it was just not challenging at all. It wasn't entertaining. There was a lot, like a lot of people were upset about it. Just because it, you know, it, you have to overcome adversity for there to be drama. Yeah, no, I fully agree. This is why so many people root for underdog stories, folks. Mm-hmm. CM Punk. <laughs> Josh, Josh, Josh just shrugged his shoulders unknowingly because he really doesn't I... know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm familiar with the name, and that's about the extent of my knowledge. Uh huh. It was a relevant reference. I'll just leave it at that. I am quite certain that it was. I'm quite <laughs> certain. I do not doubt it for even a millisecond. Mm-hmm. A while, Once upon a time, we were talking about the character sheets and character creation for Push <laughs> before we started talking about wrestling and min-maxing. But, welcome, uh, welcome to our rabbit hole podcast. Yeah, well, you were talking about um, 
traits and how your your characters can roll for or pick them. Uh, and the thing I like about them is they're like Cesar designed them to be nebulous. Like, oh, well, you could pick an upbringing uh like because there's gift upbringing experience mark charm and bond it's the six different types of traits we won't go into what all of them mean you can give cesar five dollars and uh read it for yourself but uh like for upbringing he's he suggests like what if you pick something like i don't know child of the shadow storms or something you don't have to know what it means Nobody at the table needs to know what it means, but it's something that you can use as a narrative springboard later. Yeah, well, and he even says in the categories here that these are the six standard categories. And Mm -hmm. if you come up with something that you like more for your particular game, add it. Yeah, and you can even just change it out. Or you can even just reskin these if you feel like you got something that is a little more focused in terms of whatever genre you're doing. Right, exactly. And I just love so much that it doesn't matter what the thing on the piece of paper says, because it's up to you and the table to determine, first of all, how important is that to our narrative? And second of all, how will it change that narrative? Mm -hmm. And, you know, much like how you were talking about uh, how he shows some alternate mechanics ideas and is like, please don't. Um, there's, <laughs> there's also like, if you need, he says, if you feel you need more concrete standards to determine victory or defeat, here's how I would do it. And then he gives a bulleted list if to try to like, I guess, D and Dify or war gamify, whatever you're doing a little bit. And, you know, looking through it, it's relatively inoffensive. He's like, yeah, you know, give a character maybe like, five hp give everybody like five hp i don't know something like that so you can so you can have a counter going on there um but you know some of it makes sense like if you know give them give somebody five energy if if they reach zero energy then they're defeated etc 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 but i would love to just play it first just doing it narratively and then doing the chance rolls essentially i i do want to make sure to clarify Every time we start in and we're talking about Cesar being like, ah, this is this is good. And I mean, if you really if you really got to have this other thing like ah, like that is that is Brandon in my narrative voice for the book <laughs> because of our understanding of who Cesar is as a person. He has not written the book in that tone. <laughs> <laughs> he is he is not actively creating combat with people who want to change this system he's created. It was created to be changed. But he does he does encourage you to look at why he omitted those things and why you might consider omitting them yourself. Yeah, from like a, a design from a design perspective and a writing perspective, it seems like he's just basically saying, like, you know, I put like time into figuring out how this works and I experimented and tested it. And it works. And I think it works pretty well. So, you know, at least try this Coca-Cola before you mix it with vanilla or orange. (laughs) Exactly. And I this is something that took me a super long time to learn as a game master is to not come out of the gate looking for things that I think I should break. Mm hmm. Because when you haven't experienced a system yet, when you haven't used a system yet, you can read it and feel like you have a pretty comprehensive understanding. But until you've actually used it a couple of times, you don't have really that full grasp of how everything's built, why everything works the way it does. It's like if you just looked at a car without ever turning it on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, structurally it might make sense it you know things might come out that you're like oh okay this goes like that and that goes like this but until you turn it on and actually drive it a lot of that is just speculation yeah when i was in college i pretty much had to teach myself design and layout in my journalism program and so i was just learning from other people around me who had been doing it and you know doing reading and stuff like that And my philosophy on it became imitate, then innovate. And I think that is very applicable to what we're talking about here, too. Like, 
you know, try it essentially rules is written. And then if you feel like a, there's something that you could change and B like there's a reason to make that change, then go for it and see how it goes. But not until you know the rules well enough to know when to break them. And I think that's pretty true of just about any circumstance, but I think it's especially true of game systems. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it would be the equivalent of booting up Skyrim for the first time and someone's already installed 75 mods in it. I did that with Oblivion, basically. I played it. I just played it regularly for a few hours and I'm like, ah, screw this. I'm gonna put some <laughs> cheats and mods in here. You know absolutely nothing about why the game is built the way it's built. And you're like, screw this. I'm breaking everything. Yeah. I want to be 10 feet tall, able to fly <laughs> and have infinite magic. I mean, like that can be fun, but I, I find that that's fun for a little bit. But but more specifically, when it comes to breaking game systems, like they're designed the way they are, especially, especially something like push. It's intentional. It's intentional. The things that aren't there are intentional and the things that are there are intentional. Mm -hmm. It's like jazz. <laughs> it's all just improvisational. <laughs> I mean, push is built to be very improvisational. Yeah, it is the ja it is the jazz of TTRPGs. That's what I'm saying. There's a structure <laughs> to it that you should understand before you start messing with it. <laughs> yeah, I um, when I bought this, I was I bought it in like a special bundle that he had. So I got push plus all the stuff that comes with it because he also has an online SRD for this so you get a link to that as well when you purchase this so kind of it functions basically in the same way as like the 5e srd website where you can it's all hyperlinked and you can search through it and everything like that that's uh, great yeah and then i also got a copy of relics of denoria which is pretty cool you know buy stuff off of his itch store he also has a coffee site ko-fi.com slash kapakle if you want to support him but maybe just want to throw him a dollar or two. You could do that. He's got, I'm just pulling this directly off of his Twitter. Mm -hmm. He has kapakle.bio, B-I-O dot link. And that is, if y'all are familiar with link trees or anything like that, it's basically just a page that has all of his links all in one place. Yeah, we'll have to, at some point before this goes out, uh, tweet at him and let him know this is going to be a thing that he can listen to <laughs> and tell people about. I I think he'll be excited because he seemed pretty excited to be on the show in the first place. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, bottom line, if you're looking for a very, very, very rules light system that you could probably put together in a couple of days, a pretty solid adventure for folks, this is really worth looking at, especially for $5. <laughs> And here's here's another beautiful thing about it. It's so rules light that it's not genre specific at all. Mm -hmm. You could do space adventures. You could do noir. You could do horror. You could do anything with this system. Mm -hmm. One of your traits could be guns. One of your traits. <laughs> one of your traits could be space guns. Ooh, guns and space guns. And then another one could be past guns, which I guess would be a hand crossbow or something. This is sounding progressively more and more like doom the more we talk about it. All right. Well, that's as good a time as anything. <laughs> um, anyway, check this out. Um, you know, we really didn't plan this discussion too much today. I just found this when uh, Cesar released it last week and I thought it was really cool. And I talked to Josh about it and we were like, well, let's talk about this. I mean, that's what the show's for, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks for putting up with us with not having a regular release last week. Gabe and I were pretty exhausted from having to watch all that box machina, uh, but Josh was happy to have a break. So we should be back on a, on our regular two-week release going forward. So we got this one. You'll see us again in two weeks, but uh, you know, feel free to tweet at us and uh, you know, email us, contact at goblinscrawlers.com. You can get me at Way of Brandalore on Twitter. You can get me at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. And if you haven't already, 
and this is kind of an aside because I don't know why you're listening to us if you are not already listening to Quid Pro Roll. But listen to Quid Pro Roll. That's our sister podcast, an actual play adventure celebrating somewhere between 130 and 150 episodes at this point. I don't know if you have a hard number on that, Josh. I don't have a hard number on that. I think it is around the 100. It's closer to the 150 mark, though. Okay. What I will say is that if you've ever wondered what happens when someone who's been really into wrestling for most of their life decides to bring that wrestling into a high fantasy, what was originally intended to be a very serious campaign, and then, of course, you recruit players such as myself and Brandon, it gets wild and it's a lot of fun. So if you you smell if you smell what Charles Gravy Boat Barnes is cooking. (laughs) Yeah. And join the discord bit.ly slash goblin discord. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, how we should live our lives and what we should do better with this podcast. I mean, don't don't tell me how to live my life. I know how I'm living my life, Uh Uh, but but feel feel free to come in and talk to me because I like that. (laughs) All right. We will have all of this in the show notes, all the links, all of the places to go, all of the things to see. And you know you're going to get it because Josh is the one who's putting the show notes together this time. Hell yeah. Yeah, I hope he's been marking down time codes. (laughs) (laughs) He hasn't at all. All right, everybody. Well, enjoy this. Uh, (laughs) We'll uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Have a good one. Bye, y'all.